We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe you know Steve Pakin from his show The Agenda on TVO, our provincial broadcaster, TV Ontario here. Maybe you know him from the three federal leaders debates that he's moderated in the past three elections, not this one. Maybe you know him from his days back when he was with the CBC, when he was a host on CBC Newsworld. Or maybe you don't know who Steve Pakin is. If you don't, let me let me try to describe him. Uh, he's a middle-aged white guy in a suit on TV behind a desk talking about the current affairs and the news. He has a nice haircut. The haircut's always the same haircut. He has a nice big smile. He is energetic and enthusiastic. He is authoritative. He is commanding but not threatening. He is inquisitive. If Playmobil were to make a set where they had a character who was like TV news guy, that guy would look a lot like Steve Pakin. In other words, he is very much the kind of broadcaster who I usually have very little time for. But I have a lot of time for Steve Pakin. And the full disclosure here is that I used to have a contract with TV Ontario. They commissioned a show that I hosted for a few years. And Steve Pakin was just a wonderful, friendly, helpful person who had me on his show many times and made me feel very welcome there and helped me in many ways. But even if that were not the case, I I would still have a lot of time and a lot of respect for Steve Pakin because even though the style of broadcaster that he is, is, and with this I think he would agree, very old school – I think he does a lot of credit to that old-school form of broadcasting. His show is sort of bizarre. It's an anachronism because it's an hour of talk on TV. You don't see that sort of thing anymore. It's in-depth, and Steve Pakin is still a journalist and a reporter who distinguished himself during the G20 when he hit the streets and tweeted what he saw with his own two eyes. I've been waiting for the chance to get him on the show, and I think that uh, talking with him about this campaign and the media's coverage of it is is a wonderful chance to do that. I'm also going to talk with him about his career and about the media and, and, and where it's going from his perspective. That's coming up. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Lisa Bergman, Matt Maija, Peter Houghton, Daniel Oleksiuk, Meg Dryden, Doug Chinnery, Jen, Rob Easton, and Mike Fancy. Mike, why did you decide to be awesome? I'm constantly dazzled by your strong roster of guests, and I'm always excited to see that morning email nudge when a new podcast is online. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of 
organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. And today for something different, instead of telling you about my sponsor, let's talk about you for a change. I mean, I, I, I don't really know anything about you. I know how many people download this podcast. I, I know where those downloads are coming from. I know what kind of browser you use or, or what kind of phone you have. That's not very personal. I would like to know a little bit more about you. More specifically, advertisers would like to know a little bit more about you. And I don't know what to tell them. So I'm going to ask you to fill out a five-minute survey. It's a favor. And there, there's something in it for you, sort of, because if we can figure out who you are and what kind of stuff you're interested in, then we can pick advertisers that won't bug you and that might actually be beneficial. And we want to always look for interesting companies that are a good fit and that I can get behind and that won't be irritating for you to listen to uh, when I plug them. So listen, this takes five minutes. It's totally anonymous and it's going to help this show enormously. There's also a chance that you'll win a $100 Amazon gift card. That's not why you're doing it. This is a favor. Please help me out. Go to podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. Fill out a five-minute survey. Submissions are totally anonymous. And thanks for helping this show. So this is coming out on Election Day, on Monday. Ah, okay. How yeah. fortuitous. And uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Well, sorry, when you say it's coming on Election Day, do you mean the day of... Game three of the American League Championship Series? I don't understand the language that you're speaking. <laughs> I like almost everything about you. You know that, eh? <laughs> almost everything. The fact that you are a complete illiterate when it comes to sports is very disappointing, but okay. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm missing a chromosome. I don't have any kind of judgment or sort of value <laughs> thing for me. I don't think less. I wish I would have more opportunity to have emotional conversations with other men if I understood sports. Correct. And just for the record, I do feel less about you. I, I, I judge you harshly. The fact that you, you are not going out of your mind with what's happening in baseball. No, that in the was sound. clear that, that yeah. you think less of me on, on that basis. <laughs> yeah, I, I got that. How do we future-proof our conversation today? Because some people will listen to it on Monday when they go out to vote beforehand on a jog. Most people will listen to it after they know how, how things turned out. Hmm. How, do we, how do we do this? I don't know how to do this. There's two answers to that. One is if it's a majority government... Sorry, I can't help you because we'll know Monday night who's won. Uh -huh. 
option two is if it's a minority parliament, and remember, we don't elect governments. We elect parliaments. I'll remember. And then the MPs decide who's going to be the government, depending on who can get the confidence of the most members in the House. Well, then we might be a little bit undated. We might be okay. Yeah. Because that may take some time to figure out who's actually going to be in charge. Right. That's the one question everybody asks me all the time. Who's going to win? And I give the same answer every time. I haven't a clue. And this election campaign, even more so. Have Uh, you ever seen anything like this campaign? Well, uh, at this point, yes. But earlier, no. I've never seen a campaign, and I've seen a few of them, where on on a particular day in mid-campaign, one party had 30.9% of the total vote. One party had 30.5% and one party had 30.1%. I've never seen it that close among the three major parties ever, mostly because it's never happened before. That was just an astonishingly interesting scenario. I think that is unprecedented that, you know, for a very long campaign, for the most of it, it seemed like it was anyone's to win. Right. But it's also, it feels emotionally heightened in a way that I don't remember any Maybe that's just par for the course. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. I think certainly in my lifetime, the, the 1988 debate where free trade was a big issue yeah. was a very emotional debate. Isn't that crazy that that was – like, for the life of them, they couldn't make that an issue this time around. Do you know when I knew it was an issue? I, remember, I was working at CBC at the time and, I, and we had a situation where I worked in the newsroom and when you needed to go out on a shoot, you'd go up, up a floor to the cameraman's lounge. You'd pick up your camera guy and then off you'd go. And I walked into the cameraman's lounge one day about to say to my guy, we got to go. And I heard him say to one of his colleagues up there, so tell me, do you really think water is in the deal? And when I heard two cameramen who normally only discuss things like, when you're shooting 9DB, what kind of lens are you using? You know, and how tight are you focusing on? The, okay, that's the conversation they usually have. Uh, now we're going to hear them, from the cameraman. <laughs> well, when I heard them discussing whether water was in the free trade deal, I thought, yeah. okay, this is a real thing now. Yeah. And and this time TPP, not much traction. Nope. Haven't heard – I've not heard my camera guys talking about TPP yet. Yeah. Your camera people. We should be – Guys correct. is – I thought guys Even was gender neutral. I think it's always – have you ever had a female camera person? Sure. Yeah? Yeah, sure. I don't think of the CBC I've seen one. Hmm. You were the CBC. Long time ago. You're a role model. There's, there's life after CBC. There's public broadcasting life after the CBC. I learned that from you. Uh, well, since uh, you did it too, uh, good. What happened there? What happened at CBC? Yeah. Oh, it's great. I loved all of it. I worked there for seven years from 1985 to 1992. I did 25 different jobs there. It was just the best possible training ground for kind of figuring out ultimately what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And when somebody made me an offer to do something else that I thought was potentially more interesting, which ended up being a TVO, I took it. And TVO is kind of an interesting shop, isn't it? Oh, gosh, absolutely. What I find interesting is, I mean, okay, so public broadcasting, there's there's values that are consistent from one organization to the other, but there is a difference in the mandate. And this is going to bore everybody outside of the province, so I apologize to them. But it's, it's funded by the Ministry of, of Education. Well, it's funded by the citizens of Ontario but, but through you, the government of Ontario. But you must – I mean, CBC has a mandate. It's got to inform and entertain. But you guys – you have to make an educational case for what you do. Um, it depends who the you is that you're talking about. I, I work on the agenda. It is a nightly current affairs offering. Mm-hmm. So what my mission is and what – the mission of the people who do different things there, maybe kids programming or maybe the independent learning center who help people who haven't got their high school graduation yet. 
you know, there's that angle as well. TVO isn't just what you see on television in prime time. You know, it's a it's a more uh, in-depth organization than that. You know, we're on air, we're online. Uh, we, we, have, we do stuff that is sort of more directly pedagogical. Boy, we're really going to lose the audience here, Jesse. <laughs> but the, but the, but to get back to— I, I worked for you guys for a while. I remember. I, I, for I, sure. We, we had, and then the kids programming, but it all—you know, it's straddled. I mean, you, you try to make stuff that's engaging and entertaining, but you always kind of had to be ready. I feel like there was an atmosphere like everybody was always afraid that the funding was going to get pulled or you'd have to be able to— you'd have to be able to make a defense that this was of educational value. Uh, and so what? Of course you do. And yeah. why shouldn't you? I right. Mean, the, the, the reality is the, ta- the, the citizens of Ontario— support what we do through their taxes. And so we need to be distinctive, mission-driven, not like everything else they see on the dial, or else there's no reason to support us. And you— And we're happy to uh, assume that burden on our shoulders. That's that's why we work there. And you basically are synonymous with TVO's current affairs news programming. I mean— it, Not it, news. We don't do the news. Okay. Let's be careful yeah. here. No, it's because— Well, this is a distinction that we are maybe a bit more familiar with. And people out there tune into your show. I mean, they're a little bit cognizant of the difference between a newscast and the agenda, but you're a guy in a suit talking about the issues of the day. There are graphics behind you. There are politicians in front of you and and experts. It's a news show to many people. Disagree. In our field, we call it current affairs, whatever. As far as the informational aspect of TVO, you're the guy, like it's, it's, you're the brand. And it's an interesting thing to kind of, uh, I don't know if we call this a big fish, small pond thing versus the road not taken, CBC. I could easily see you of having a, a long and varied career in different t- on-air roles at the CBC. How do you feel about it? How do I feel about the fact that I'm a TVO and not at CBC? Yeah. How do you feel about the distinction between the two places, the fact that you left that? I mean, and, Okay. Here's an answer. Okay. Um, I used to do a show called Studio Two. It lasted 12 years, which is a pretty good run. And by the end— it wasn't quite as distinctive as it was on day one. And so when our new CEO came in, Lisa DeWild, she made a decision that we were going to end that show and create a new show, uh, same time slot, 8 and 11 o'clock, an hour, no commercials, current affairs, but more distinctive and different, different format. Those are the and, things that executives like to say. It's, it's a bit buzzwordy. I mean, how do you be distinctive? Well, okay. And- uh, and, but here's, here's, here's what happened. We had an all-staff meeting when she came in, and somebody got up, and I tell you, the person had a lot of guts, because the person got up on his feet and said, what size audience will this new, still unnamed show, which turned into the agenda, have to get in order for it to fulfill its mandate and remain on the air? Which is a really good question. It is one. It's one that you're going to want to have in your pocket for later. And Lisa's answer was... The success or failure of this show will not be judged on the size of its audience. It will be judged on whether it fulfills its mission. Did you record her saying that for future I didn't need to because she's never diverted from that policy in the intervening years. We've been on this our 10th year now. We're on the air 10 years. That was such magic, such music to my ears. It is very different from – let's say, a comparable executive who worked at the CBC who might have said, if you don't get a million viewers, we're canceling you, okay? That's not the world we live in. Now, obviously, we have to have a, a, a certain 
sized audience or we're not relevant. Just for context, I'm pretty sure that no CBC News or Current Affairs show would be on the air if a million people was the consistent target. I guess that's true today. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the case. But the reality is if you work in public – if you work in private television, I totally get why you have to be able to deliver a certain number of eyeballs to advertisers because that's your mission. I'm unclear about why the CBC has that mission. Of course, it's got another mission as well, but part of that mission was high ratings. Well, their problem is that it's a confused mission because they're trying to do both. Okay. And, and, and depending well, on which day it is, they'll say, well, we're fulfilling one, not the other, the other, not this one. But it's, that's great to know what you're there for. You're, you're there for to inform people to make the best show you can, and, that, and it's not a numbers game. And that's why I love working at TVO, because we've never been unclear about what the mission is. The but you, mission, still, you still care about your numbers, though. Uh, I can't tell you. You're gonna. You're gonna. You know what? I already see the look on your face. You're not gonna believe this, but I'm gonna tell you this anyway. I can't tell. Every week, somebody somewhere in the building sends out what the ratings are. Uh -huh. Okay, they send an email to all the people who care, and some who don't, because I can't tell you the last time I spent even a minute clicking on that file and going through it to see what our audience was, because we're still on the air. So I know it's high enough and it doesn't make any difference to the way I do my job if it's 50,000 viewers a minute or a million viewers a minute. doesn't matter to the way we do our job. We still have a mission to fulfill. We have a mission to engage the people of the province of Ontario at the dawn of the 21st century on the most important issues of the day that will make their citizenship of this province and of this country better and more enriched. And here, here. that's what we do. Do you check your retweets? Oh, of course. Yeah. Forget about whether you stay on the air or not. You just want to know the numbers. Come on. You want to know the numbers. The last time I checked the numbers was years ago. And the reason I stopped looking at the numbers all the time is because they're always within a certain range. They always just Between are. Between 50,000 and a million. <laughs> well, I think I, could, I think I could probably make that range a little smaller. But, but the bottom line is, to what end? Like, what do I need to know for? It's an interesting one because I think that you could certainly make the case that we're putting out an informative program. We're doing the best we can for people who care to engage with this stuff, and it's important stuff, and that's us doing our job. But if you found out that nobody was listening, that would be a problem. But that's the point. Or watching in your case. Because I know they are. Yeah. I know they are. And how do I know? Because every time I'm on the subway, people come up to me. Every time I'm at a Jays game, people come up to me. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm in the public. I'm on the, like, I'm, I'm out know, there. I don't know how I've, we, we've, we've gone into these corners where I'm arguing. Of course, people watch the agenda. It is incredibly distinctive in that nobody makes TV like you do anymore. I mean, it's just Thanks a show where people just talk to each other. Yeah. It's a format that everybody has more or less abandoned. It swims completely against the tide of let's make this quicker. Let's make things more graphics, next topic, more people yelling at each other. Even within CBC or any other news, that's the trend. You're doing the other thing. I must – and I don't want to sound like I'm picking on CBC. I love CBC. I used to work at CBC. But I do sometimes get amused when I watch the news network. And after the sort of four-minute or five-minute mark of an interview happens – a host will invariably say, well, I wish we had more time, but we got to go. Right. And, and I think to myself, you're on the air 24-7. How, how do you not have enough time to go longer? <laughs> we're on the air an hour a night. Yeah. And we're going to do 15, 30-minute interviews. We're going to do 45 or 55-minute panel discussions. And how come we have enough time to go longer if we want to, but you don't have enough time? Yeah. I don't get that. With an hour versus 24. Right. 
it seems like for a while you were the go-to guy to moderate the federal leaders debates. Well, that's just because I'm not at CBC. You were a neutral. It was a CBC broadcast, but they couldn't use their own for some reason. No, no, no. no. The, the, well, what was the, going on? Well, the media consortium is basically made up of CBC and CTV and Global and City and, you know, all the big channels. And, and so, you know, I guess back when I first got the chance to do this, if the consortium had come forward and said, we think Peter Mansbridge ought to moderate the debate. Well, CTV would have vetoed that. They don't want to put him on their channel. Right. So how about Lloyd Robertson does it? Well, the CBC would have vetoed that. We don't want him. So the way it happened in the first case was that the guy who called me up said, I got to go into a meeting with the political parties tomorrow and I need to bring 50 names into a hat with me. Can I throw your name in the hat? And I said, yeah, of course. Sure. I mean, not going to happen. That's fine. But thanks for calling. So this time around, Harper snubbed the consortium and you were out of a job. Well, I, you know, out of a job. It's not my job. I mean, I got asked a few times in the past That's to do it. That's a fun it. job. That's a high profile job. It's an important job. It must be an exciting job. It's the most nerve wracking thing I've ever done. Everybody's angry at you after, maybe, or somebody is. If Even if you're getting congratulations from three quarters of everybody, there's a quarter of people who... You just don't want to screw that up, right? Yeah. I mean, I know there's all sorts of talk about ratings and stuff, but, but I think the ratings on the consortium debates were in the range of 10 million people watching. And if that's true, that's a lot of people you do not want to think you just fell flat on your face and you're horrible. Well, I don't think Walmsley has to worry about that because I don't know if that one cracked a million. Well, let's put it this way. I always liked the the consortium debates because there was kind of an appointment television thing about it, right? I mean, regardless of what channel you put on that night when you were watching – you were going to run into that debate. And it gave a citizen, I think, that sort of one moment in the campaign where they thought, I haven't paid too much attention to everything so far, but I'll watch the debate and I'll get up on stuff that way. And that kind of, you know, seminal moment in a campaign, I always thought was very useful. I have no problem with democratizing the uh, the debate. You want to have more debates? Great. You want to have some online? You want to put them on YouTube or you want to do that? You know, terrific. But as a substitution to the one big moment... I'm not sure people have been all that well served by it. I mean, I had a, a, one point, Jesse, where, where a reporter for a major Toronto daily newspaper called me up and said, I want to watch this debate tonight, and I know it's on CPAC, but I have no idea where CPAC is yeah. on my, you know, on my 500-channel universe thing. This is the, one of the last experiences where broadcast television has a very clear role. I mean, it used to be that everybody watched the same episode of Family Ties on a Thursday night at the same time, and you could talk about it with them the next day. There's a few moments, I think that you sports people are familiar with, with some of them. I'm not. But it is it is that debate when the country – I mean, how can you argue that people are better served when m- millions and millions fewer people actually watch the damn things? Uh, I'm Obviously, you're talking to the wrong guy. I don't I've, think you I've can. I've been off on this and, and the fact that the CBC had the choice to run them and didn't. But, and didn't, yeah. but, but that's something I've already said too much about. But, you know, speaking about politics with you, it's something that you and I have discussed before, but I think probably more off the air because you never have me on to talk about important stuff like that. Uh, what do we have you on to talk about? I used to have me on to talk about, you know, what the kids are doing on Facebook. <laughs> well, you know about that, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you once told me that, you had, for all of the criticism and scrutinizing you have to do with politicians on, in your job, you kind of have a, a basic faith in politicians that at least they got into it for good reasons. I, am I paraphrasing you correctly? Yeah, you, you feel I like think they, that's fair. They, they were, you can criticize them up and down, but they're trying to make the world better. That's why they're doing this. I, I've met hundreds of them, and I can't, I, uh, you know, I can't think of too many 
who got in because they had expressly come to the conclusion that they wanted to do as awful and corrupt a job as possible, screw as many people along the way, and, you know, run off into the sunset. I don't know that anybody, including the people who've done the worst things in the history of the world, have ever had that ambition. But I go back and forth because I feel like that's a really nice attitude and that's a humanizing way to think of people who you can often think really terrible things about. That, you know what, this was a person who they wanted to serve. That's, yeah. you know, wh- wh- however they ended up, that's what they wanted. And then I've got a cynical side of me that thinks, you know, that's an awfully convenient attitude for Steve to have because a reporter – can be aggressive and adversarial and and a dick and just ask politicians really uncomfortable questions. But a host, the whole conceit is that they're your guest, you're the host, and you got to be friendly. And, and, you know, even, you know, when Jon Stewart would have somebody on who he was eviscerating the night before, he would project this, oh, come on, you're my buddy now. And it serves you well to have a very optimistic and bright kind of fuzzy attitude towards politicians. I don't notice it having held you back. I mean, you are hosting me here today. It's true. I have no doubt, but that the questions are going to get a little cheekier as we move along. And that's all, that's all fine. I'm curious about it because it's something that I contend with as well, especially because like you, I both host and do some reporting. I will have to kind of turn the laser on these people in a way that might not be kind or hospitable and then have them on, and have a nice, friendly conversation. But people the next get day. that, don't they? I think people get, particularly if they're coming here to talk to you, they get that. You know, you are going to be the host, and part of the interview will be fine. And then at some point, you will take a kind of a, a bit of an L in the road. You'll take a U turn <laughs> or something, and you'll want to go a little like your stuff with Christy Blatchford the other day. I thought was that was just wonderful to listen to, and your stuff with Joe Clark is also very not the former prime minister, but the other Joe Clark yeah. is is very very engaging, and it's. You know, it's tough. And that's – but is anybody under the illusion when they come and do an interview with anybody, whether it's in a studio or, you know, out on the field with a camera crew, is anybody under the illusion anymore in politics that, that at some point there does need to be a bit of an accountability tone to it? I think that part is understood. The part that I, I worry about is do you feel like there's any kind of um – lie to the friendliness when you're having somebody on. I mean, for me, it's genuine. I'm, I'm curious about the people who come on the show. And there are people who I won't have on the show because I don't, I don't have genuine curiosity about them. You know, I have very critical things to say and it would be uncomfortable, but there's no aspect where I can really sell or believe, you know, or invest in the idea that this is somebody who I want to spend time with. And I, I just won't ask them on the show. And I don't know. I worry about these dynamics. I think about them a lot. I'm wondering what what you have to say about it. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, About 15 years ago, I did a book on a former premier of Ontario by the name of John Robarts Mm -hmm. who had an amazing life. His government was one of the most uh, forward-thinking and ambitious in the province's history, and his life ended in suicide. Actually, the anniversary of his death is coming up, the 18th of October. Robarts used to say – that by the time an issue got to his desk, he could flip a coin as to which way to go. You know, there's so few issues in politics where it's so obvious that 90% of the information suggests you do this and only 10% suggests you do that. And therefore, it's a black or white issue and it's easy. And furthermore, if we're debating the issue on the agenda, it's not because it's a black and white issue. It's mm-hmm. because it's got lots of gray in it. So when you ask me, you know, why aren't your fangs bared more and aren't you more Mike Wallace when these people come into your studio to do interviews with you? Maybe it's because I can sort of appreciate the complexity of most of the issues that we're covering and they're not black and white. And therefore, I can see all sides of a thing. And that probably helps me from being a real 
you know, smart ass asking very leading questions. I'm not, I'm not, oh, you're laughing like I'm suggesting you're doing that. I'm not. But I'm just saying it allows you to be a little bit humble about just how much of a smart ass you ought to be when you ask questions. I feel like you're old school in a way that challenges some of my uh, skepticism about old school anchor type dudes. The guy with the tie on TV who's kind of got a sense of uh, fairness and objectivity, which I, I don't pretend to be objective, and I have a lot of opinions. And you're I, so lucky, you know. You you are a, you are allowed to be opinionated, and you are allowed to swear. Those are two things I can never get away with. The swearing I get, but why aren't you allowed to be opinionated? I'm, I'm sure you're filled with opinions. But it's this point of honor that – in so many cases, I just – I feel like it's a lie when journalists present themselves as objective. And yet I kind of sense that for you it's a point of principle to, to – well, why don't you tell me about it? Well, you're right. Of course I have opinions on certain things. And the reality of the job is uh, people don't tune in to hear me give the opinions – People tune in because I, I think because they expect me to be an honest broker in moderating discussions about issues or in doing one-on-one -on -one interviews with people. Your show's different. People, I think people, well, I'm certainly one of them. I do tune in to listen to mm -hmm. you sound off on something that you're really ticked off about. And that's part of the one of the, one of the people marketing says so it's part of the unique selling proposition of this program. That's one of the reasons I listen. But that's not the case for me. Yeah. They don't they don't tune in for that reason for me. They tune in for different reasons. And I think if they – I think if we were to mess with that, like there's a few things we ought not to mess with at TVO, right? Like we shouldn't put commercials on because yeah. our viewers love the fact that we're commercial-free. Yeah. And we probably shouldn't – you know, we probably shouldn't have the host out there frothing at the mouth about a whole bunch oh, of issues. Oh, that would be death. The three minutes of Steve commentary? No. Yeah. And you know what? You're lucky because you – as the inquisitor can take on an opinion, but only in sort of a uh, as a tactical method of asking a question. You yeah, can devil's advocate. Yeah, there's all there's an aspect of that that always sits not with specific reference to the way you do it, but like I hate when interviewers. Well, what would you say to people who would argue sure. this? I mean, it's like well, just and argue I do, it. And I do it myself, and I'm sort of I'm kind of frustrated that I do it and want to smack myself when I do it. But it lets you ask it. It lets you ask it, and the, and that is the cage that I am content to live in. Yeah. <laughs> if I want to live in a you know, if I want to live in a different kind of a cage, uh, then I should go do something else. Do you feel that it's an endangered species? I mean, like the old school. There's something about the agenda that is so old school that it's kind of come <laughs> back again, and it's it's cutting edge. Okay. I, and I believe that. I think you do that. Like, you are a good argument for that form of broadcasting. A lot of people who have sort of presented themselves as the objective voice of the news or the host the have, have sort of been exposed as, you know, empty suits or, or talking haircuts and, you know, calling themselves chief correspondents or whatever. You get the idea that they're reading from a teleprompter. I wonder if that is the way things should be going towards something where it's a, more of a human representation of who the person is. You know, and, and I don't know what we would talk about. I mean, I think that probably Anderson Cooper seems like more of a specific personality than his predecessors or the way Vice is doing it. They, they, there seems to be more of a willingness to have point of view with the person who's your intermediary, your anchor, or your host. This is going to be a very unsatisfying answer for oh, you. Oh, great. But I don't think it matters, what, frankly, what either you or I say about this. The, you <laughs> know, the, the universe is going to unfold as it will, and and viewers are going to— they're going to, you know, latch on to what they like. And thankfully, there are still some of them who like the old school way we do things. And that's great. Yeah. And and obviously, there are plenty who like the, 
you know, host as protagonist, host as opinionated, host as uh, someone who's got a flag and wants to plant it somewhere in the ground. You know, they, they have those options too. So it's a big world. There's lots of different choices out there. And I'm just glad that there's still a little space on the – how many channels are we up to now? Is it a 500-channel universe uh, or whatever? We have, uh, what, what's a channel? <laughs> okay. What's, Good the, point. what's the URL Good for point. That? Okay. So in, in this world of infinite choices, I'm glad there's still a little tiny space on the landscape yeah. for a place that does what we do. Do you sense that there's a, a cultural shift against it? Do you, do you sense that there's like just a growing – you know, I mean, to, to you know, harken back to some Walter Cronkite voice of God, like Daddy's telling you what happened today. No, no those days are gone. That for sure, that's gone. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like that's kind of like the, we're, we're at the last legs of it? Where, where Jesse, tell me this: Who are the anchors of the three main newscasts in the United States? Oh wow. Okay, that's all I needed to hear. Yeah. Because when I was your age, uh-huh. I could sure tell you who they are. I happen to know, but uh, the people who are listening I, I right now, know. okay, the people who are listening to you right now, yeah, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but I bet a huge percentage have no idea. And that would not have been the case when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So to ask the question is to answer it. The voice of you mm-hmm. know, the om- omniscient anchor, the days of Cronkite, gone. I can ask you these questions without fear of offending you because I think there are a lot of people who are posing as a journalist. And, you know, in, in the UK, they just call them presenters. It's much more honest. But you actually, you'll still get your hands dirty. I mean, during the G20, you were out there. And it was interesting because you were embracing, you have embraced Twitter and, and, and other new reporting tools. I don't know that you were taking any side there, but you were a reporter on the streets saying that you were seeing rampant police brutality. And, and uh, I, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but I think a lot of people were surprised with, uh, and maybe this was just an objective statement of what you witnessed, but that's all it was. Yeah, I did witness a journalist being brutalized by a few police officers, and tweeted that. And yeah. I must say, I was say, you know, being the age I'm at, I, I'm, I was a bit of a s- slower convert to social media than say somebody of your age. Um, but that one night, I guess I went from two thousand Twitter followers to eleven thousand in yeah. one night, and that's when I sort of put my eyebrows up and said, oh, okay, maybe this is something. And now, of course, I'm completely out of control. I'm tweeting at Blue Jay Games. It's uh, addictive, especially if you're already pre-wired to be plugged into what's going on and what people have to say about what's going on. And but your bigger question, sorry to jump in, sure. your, your bigger question about why this, why this job works for me is because of the different di- kinds of things I can do. Yes, I host ostensibly what is a television program five nights a week, but I also get to go out in the streets and do reporting yeah. and tweet about them. And I'm also kind of like a twice or three times a week newspaper columnist because I got to write columns for the TVO.org website. And there's great – and then, of course, promote all that stuff through Twitter and Facebook. And there's great feedback on all of that. So now those aren't columns in the way that an opinionated columnist would write them. They're more kind of um, amplifications on themes that I see happening Uh out there. But uh, getting a chance to do sort of those three different things is unlike, I think, any other job I see out there. Which is why I love this one so much. And it's interesting to me that you say you got to write these columns for your TVO blog. I don't think you got it at all any more than you have to go out there and, and, and live tweet the G20. I mean, I think that those are things that you want to do. 110%. But that's why, I mean, I've been able to, to create a kind of a job that mirrors what I want to do. Yeah. So it's, it's a perfect marriage in that respect. No, I get that. But where I'm going with this is five nights a week, you're on the air for an hour. You are not reading from a teleprompter. You are surprising with the facts that you have at your fingertips. You obviously research your interviews in advance. You're, you told me once that your day is scheduled in 20-minute chunks. You're writing, you call them blog posts, but they're, they're like you're writing like short little essays on the site 
a few times a week. You are a weirdo, Steve. <laughs> you're a really strange dude. I think that you, your appearance is, a, is of a much more normal guy than maybe me or a lot of other people. But you're a weirdo, and I want to ask you about this. Like, what, I don't what think— do you, What do you mean? I think there are episodes of my show where people can tell that my kids were up all night and I, or I'm sick. And if you catch me buying a sandwich, I might not look really well-groomed. You are Steve Pakin 24-7. I haven't had a conversation with you where you haven't interviewed me. You are on— Man, you are on all the time. Are there three Steve Pakins taking turns? Is this are, are amphetamines a part of this picture? <laughs> I don't even drink coffee. I have been blessed to be very curious about how the world works. Uh-huh. And I find from the minute I get up in the morning, which is too damned early, frankly, till the minute my head hits the pillow at night, I'm pretty much going all the time. And that suits me just fine because I, I hear the clock ticking. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this, and I want to squeeze every drop out of the lemon. And I love this lemon. I just love what I do. So if that's weird, okay. It's very weird. What is this clock ticking nonsense? What would you do? Other people stop doing their jobs and they go and they do other things in, in the off hours. But I, I have a sense that you're sort of always doing what you just told me. You're always doing your job. I have always taken the – put it this way. I am now – when did I start? 1992. So uh-huh. do the – what is this? I'm in my 23rd year, I guess, at TVO. And I have operated on a series of two-year contracts. And I have always operated on the assumption that once that two-year contract is over uh, – you know, that might be it. Oh, I forgot. You write books, too. It's yeah. frightening. Well, it's not, actually. It's actually wonderful. I am I'm <laughs> very much enjoying myself. So I'm not predicting anything, but I'm saying at some point this will end, obviously. Yeah. And um, I don't want to um, have felt like I didn't put in a good day's effort. Yeah. As a lifestyle, we know lots of people who've been doing this. It's a very unique way to live. It's very exciting. There's always something new. And if you're curious or if you're easily distracted or if monotony, you know, doesn't suit you well, it's a great job. Do you find that it's a hard job to integrate with what other people would consider normal life? Sure. Uh, I don't have a normal life. It's not a balanced life. Uh, I'm very, 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 very plugged in when I am. And then when I'm not, which is, you know, a few weeks over the summer and maybe a week over Christmas, although not so much because there's books to read for upcoming interviews, I really unplug. Yeah. I really unplug. But, you know, come on. Let's let's be frank about this. I'm bloody lucky. I'm a very lucky person to be yeah. able to have found something that I love to do at a place that basically lets me do it. Uh, with people that I really enjoy working with and who are talented and committed. And there seems to be some appetite out there for what we do. And working at TVO, I'm not sure this could have happened. I guess for circling back, I'm not sure this could have happened the way it's happened had I stayed at CBC. In fact, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have happened. But working at TVO, having that different mission, doing the kind of program that I've been able to do, uh, making the online contributions I've been able to make, it's just been a foundation for a lot of other stuff that's come along as well. Uh, you mentioned books. I've had the misfortune of writing seven books, and that's been a hell of a lot of fun. And I go down to Ryerson, you know, every now and then and teach a few courses on how to and, and you do some interview. Teaching. Right. Do a little bit of teaching. You don't want to get bored, so you got to have something. Like I say, I have a big appetite to, to do. You do want to hope that by the time you get to the end of this adventure that you can look back and say, okay, I made a bit of a contribution there. 
that I don't worry about when this whole thing is going to end. I don't worry about how much longer I'm going to have the job. I don't worry about TVO's future. I just, I don't, you know, there's stuff that's within my grasp to have some influence over. None of that is. So I never worry about that stuff. Okay, Steve, thanks so much. A pleasure. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me. I read them all. I respond when I can. And I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. And the show's website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The show is produced by Katie Jensen. Listen, if you are listening to this on Monday, on Election Day, first of all, go out and vote. Vote for somebody. Spoil your ballot, whatever, but vote. And if you're in Toronto, come hang out with us because we are going to be having a election results viewing party at the Monarch Tavern in Little Italy in Toronto. And then once we know who the next prime minister is and everything else, there is going to be a live taping of Canada Land Commons. Now, you can listen to that at home, the live stream, after the results are in. Go to canadalandshow.com for information on how to listen to it live. That will also be Common's podcast that will come out on Tuesday. And then the next episode of Shortcuts will be out on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. 